Now we're going to continue um, with um, our study as we've been working through the book of Ephesians. Now Pastor's word is back and so we're kind of alternating through the different variations. But I'm sure we're still familiar with that which we've been focusing on um, over the time that relates to the book of Ephesians and so um, we've been looking at it in the context as we know as sit, walk and stand. We look considerably in the first three chapters of the doctrines associated with our position, sitting in Christ. And now we've moved to the practical from chapter 4 onwards. It involves the practical outflow and living of the Christian life. Then there we find instructions that are predominantly situated or focused on walking. Walking the Christian life. That is the emphasis that Paul the Apostle is making. And so we've looked already at a couple of things that deal with the walk. And so Paul in the uh, first uh, few verses there of chapter 4 talks about walking worthy before the Lord. And really that is the motivation of our lives as Christians. Having been redeemed, having been uh, uh, saved, washed in the blood, justified by faith in Christ, all of this is, becomes the motivation for us to walk in a manner that is worthy and acceptable to God. And so, um, uh, because our desire is to fully please him, as the scripture would say. And so, um, that needs to be the motivation. Paul talks about walking in unity in the first few verses of chapter 4 and we focused on that aspect and then we looked at also how that is facilitated because he spoke of the unity of the faith and then we saw how God has appointed various ministries and how we all are um, uh, various ministries that are uh, utilised to bring about Christian maturity, to bring about us to perfect us in Christ Jesus, uh, that is to become mature in Christ and the ministry that we all have as part of that uh, uh, being connected to the body and which each joint supplies something in that process. So this is the foundation. Then Paul will begin to talk a little bit further now practically again of how to walk. Now it must be understood the the, the the analogy of walking as a Christian is something that's not new to the New Testament. As you read the Bible and understand the scriptures from beginning to end, you see that there is a constant emphasis and theme of walking, even as it related to the children of Israel. When God took them out of Egypt and uh, he was going to bring them into the promised land and one, he had the uh, issue of the Egyptians and their idolatry and obviously those nations that there in the land of Canaan that would ha- uh, were filled with all their idolatry and perversion um, and so God was very con- conscious of these things uh, uh, to separate them as a testimony, to separate them, that they would live in a manner that is uh, separate from the nations that were around them. And it's interesting because in Leviticus chapter 18, let me just highlight this, verse 1. The Bible says, Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel and say to them, I am the Lord your God. According to the doings of the land of Egypt, where you dwelt you shall not do. And and according uh, to the doings of the land of Canaan as well, so Egypt and Canaan, where I am bringing you, you shall not do, nor shall you walk in their ordinances. 
you shall observe my judgments and keep my ordinances to walk in them. I am the Lord your God. You shall therefore keep my statutes and my judgments, which, which if a man does, he shall live by them. I am the Lord. So God is clearly making the emphasis of walking not according to the Egyptians nor the Canaanites and more so that they would take heed to walk in a manner that is obedient to him and according to his will and that which is pleasing unto him. So this is the principle that we see in scripture. That's why John would write in his epistle in, uh, to the, to, uh, in, in the New Testament, in 3 John, he would say, there's no greater joy that I have to hear that my children walk in truth. And really there is no greater joy. Um, we can understand that if you're a parent. There's no greater joy than knowing that your children are walking in truth. Because the grief that it causes when they're not, Amen. But also this applies spiritually uh, to those in which we, you know, we, uh, we obviously as, as an overseer uh, and also as, as we are all engaged in discipleship and teaching others and being a father to others and an example to others to see others walk in that truth. What a joy it is, walking in the truth. And so again, this whole concept of walking is, is something that's right throughout uh, the Bible. And Paul is making a huge emphasis, I must say, in chapter 4 and onwards about how to walk as a Christian because you must walk as a Christian. Thank God that we're seated in Christ but you have to learn to walk and this is what Paul is emphasising. So let's read and we're going to pick it up from verse 17 and we'll read to the end of the chapter. Now Paul is writing and he's continuing and he says these words, This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk in the futility of their mind, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart who being past feeling have given themselves over to lewdness, to work all uncleanness with greediness. But you have not so learned Christ. If indeed you have uh, heard him and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus, that you put off concerning your former conduct, the old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lusts, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind that you put on the new man which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, put away a lying. Let each one of you speak truth to his neighbour, for we are all members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath, nor give place to the devil. Let him who stole steal no more, or no longer, but rather let him labour, working with his hands what is good, that he may have something to give him who has need. Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamour, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice, and be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ 
forgave you. And we'll see how much we get through there. But the point being is Paul is really making or shifts gears again as he makes this emphasis of the walk. In verse 17, he says, This I say, he's making a statement, and therefore, and testify in the Lord. In light of what he has just shared beforehand in, re- in relation to the various ministries that are associated by God and ordained by God to bring about, to teach us, to instruct us, to edify us and the ministry that we all share towards one another, Paul is saying in light of this aspect, therefore this I say, or this I say therefore, and testify in the Lord. He's making a further emphasis as he makes this, he's about to declare the words that he's about to speak. He gives it a, a serious tone. And uh, I testify uh, before the Lord. In other words, uh, he is making an account of himself to God. He's uh, bearing witness of this truth, that this reality that he is about to declare to them and he wants them to understand that, uh, that he stands before the Lord as he's about to declare uh, what this instruction and what he's about to exhort them to. Now, what is it? He says that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk in the futility of their mind. You should no longer walk as the Gentiles walk. Now that seems very self-explanatory, right? But sometimes uh, you have to state the obvious, don't you? Because sometimes Christians are not walking as they ought to walk. And so Paul is making it very clear that we are not to walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk. You see, we are, we, though we are Gentiles uh, in a sense, uh, in, in one sense, we are now Christians, amen? We are in Christ. We are part of the mystery of God, the church, and we are now one body and it is imperative that, that we do not walk according to the ways of the Gentiles or, or the ways of the world that are around us. There is something that is distinctively different or is to be about us. When people observe us, they should see something different in the way we live and the way we walk. We don't share the same values as the world. There's something about us that is separate. And this is what Paul is emphasising here. In the same way that Israel was not to adapt to the customs of the Egyptians, in the same way that the Israelites were not to um, uh, corrupt themselves uh, with the Canaanites uh, and because uh, where they failed to destroy them, they ended up being snared by them. Because this is very important to us to understand. And we, uh, we know in the Bible that Egypt is clearly a picture of the world. And we have come out of Egypt and we, have in, we, are, we, are, we are in Christ. And so now we have a whole different approach to life, a whole different value system. And it's not just what we believe, it's how we live. You see, this is critical. We don't walk like the rest of the Gentiles. We don't walk like the rest of the world. Paul would say, this is, how do the Gentiles walk? Well, he says, in the futility of their mind. In the futility 
of their mind. That word futile means they, it captures the essence of the moral depravity that is characterized by the world that we live in. And I tell you, we talk about the past, but I tell you, we live in the present church and we are living in a world where moral depravity, though it has always existed and fluctuates, it is prevailing upon us in these last days. The things that we are observing and seeing uh, and uh, that is going on, the moral depravity is becoming, uh, uh, it, it is accelerating rapidly. What I mean by that uh, is it's, it's touch, you know, we're talking now kids, not adults, not even, we're talking kids between the tw- ages of 11 and 14, kids. We're seeing things uh, going on around us in, and so and we, have to, uh, we have to wrestle and tackle these things. But see, there's a futility of their minds. That word futile comes uh, vanity, in the vanity of the minds, the emptiness. They are, em- they are morally void. They're empty. What they believe uh, and the, the way that they believe is profitless. It profits nothing. In actual fact, it is sin and it will destroy the lives of men and women. And that's what sin does. It brings forth death. So, so Paul says, don't walk as the rest of the Gentiles. Don't walk in the, they are in the futility of their mind. Now, again, this is the way that they think and that leads to the way that they act. He says these words in verse 18, they have their uh, understanding darkened. You see, Paul's prayer for the Christian, obviously we have received the revelation of Christ, but Paul prays that our understanding would be enlightened to grasp some of the things that we've been considering about uh, who God is and what we have our inheritance in Christ, that we would come to a full uh, understanding and revelation of these things. But you see, the world has no concept whatsoever of these spiritual realities or the wisdom of God that we speak in a mystery. And so therefore, their understanding is darkened. They are in the dark. They walk in the dark. Men love darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. Simple as that. And they are in darkness. Their whole understanding is darkened and Paul says they are alienated from the life of God. Alienated. That is that they are separate, they are not, they are estranged, they are a non-participant. They know nothing of the life of the Spirit. They know nothing of the life of God that we, amen, who are saved and have received eternal life and are filled with the life of God more abundant. Amen? And we rejoice in that and we get excited. They have no concept of what we're doing or what we're do- or what, uh, what's happening to us or what's happened. It's foreign. They are alienated from the life of God. And then Paul emphasizes it further because of the ignorance that is in them. There's an ignorance that exists and because of the blindness of their heart. This is the Gentile world. This is the world in which, not just the Gentile world, it's the, it's the unbelieving Jew. It's all those that are, no, uh, are outside of Christ, that they're blinded in their hearts. 
And Paul would even tell us in, uh, in 2 Corinthians 4 verse 4 that, who has, that, that, that their minds are veiled and that who is it that's blinding them? The God of this world has blinded the minds of them that don't believe. And so Satan is the God of this world. The devil has blinded their minds. They are slaves to sin. They are of their father the devil. And so therefore there is, uh, and I emphasise that because I'm saying that there is clearly a contrast between light and darkness and the Christian and those of the world. That's what Paul's trying to say. There's a huge contrast. And this is all emphasised in how we walk as a Christian. This is how it's, it's lived out. Not just what we say but what we do. And so they're blinded. Look at verse 19. Who being past feeling. Past feeling. This word is an interesting word but it kind of uh, captures for us that they are past feeling, meaning that they are shameless in the way that they live. And the way in which they conduct themselves and their pride marches and whatever else you want to do it in their arrogance towards God but they are shameless. And so this is what captures uh, the world around us. There's a shamelessness. They are past feeling. In other words, they have seared the conscience in such a way that, that, that they are not moved. This is how they're walking. This is how they're living. And, and not only that, it's not just those that practice that, but those that approve it. Oh, well, I'm not like that, but I had no problem with them being like that. Well, I have a problem because this is the word of God. And see, the world has, is past feeling. There's no compulsion. There's no standard. There's no moral truth. And that truth is Christ and the word of God. And so we see these, they are past feeling. Also the word carries with it an understanding that they're apathetic. They don't care. They just don't care. They have a, there's, an apathetic of the, uh, there's an apathy of mind and heart that they couldn't care less about these things because they see their life as now and so they live like animals, act like animals and so it is. So their consciences are seared. They have no regard for truth, no regard for God. They just don't care. And Paul will go further and say they've, who being past feeling, have given themselves over to lewdness. As a result of this attitude of heart, it is manifesting itself in the way in which they are living and they're giving themselves over to lewdness. Or this is again, this form uh, is, a, is the vile forms of behaviour that manifest of, in the flesh. Isn't it, doesn't it sound similar to Romans where we talk about the, the God gave them over to a debased mind, a futile mind, and then they did the things that were not fitting? It's, see, what happens in the mind comes out in the life. The two are associated together. That's why as Christians, if we are holding to the doctrine of Christ, that it must be observed in the manner in which we live and the manner in which we walk because we see that in the Gentile world. So they're given over to lewdness. They're living a lifestyle that's debased. They're practising all forms of uncleanness. And this lifestyle is, Paul says, to work all uncleanness with greediness. 
and meaning that there's a lust, there's a, there, there, there's a insatiable desire and lust and a greediness uh, and where people are out to satisfy themselves and their self-gratifications and their self-interests and their self-love and it's whether it's money, whether it's power, whether it's immorality, whatever the case may be, it is all driven in this context and that can, this is why the Gentiles walk after this manner. And so it ought not to be the case. Look at verse 20. But you, this is the way, we don't walk as the Gentiles walk, like the rest of the Gentiles. Paul's just pointed this out, where they're at. But he says, verse 20, but you, we as Christians, have not so learnt Christ. So what is it that Paul is emphasising here? There's a couple of things that we draw from it but first of all we look at Christ and we see the perfect standard. We see perfection. We see uh, the perfect example of how to live and how to... I mean the Bible says uh, that he knew no sin. He knew no sin. He didn't commit sin. And we have Jesus who was so holy and lived so righteously that we have in him a perfect example. We have not so learned Christ. We look at Christ and we see the standard, we see the benchmark, we see God himself. And so when we look at Christ, we are learning from him. That's why the Bible says that we are to become disciples of Christ. Discipleship is, means that I'm a learner. I'm learning to walk. I'm, I'm learning to live. I'm not just learning intellectual concepts about Christian faith, but I'm taking those things and as my mind is receiving truth, my life reflects it. I'm walking as a Christian. Jesus was one who walked worthy. He was one who always pleased the Father. And we have in him the truth. So we see that the truth is in Jesus. Look at verse 21. But you have not, or verse 20, but you have not so learned Christ, if indeed you have heard him and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus. The truth is in Jesus and we have heard his voice. We have responded to the call of the gospel. We have now received him. We have received salvation. The truth is in Jesus. Amen. And now we have an anointing that teaches us. We have the Holy Spirit that guides us into truth. We have, amen, all of these things working as for us and Jesus being an advocate, our high priest and all the various functions that he serves in order to empower us to walk in a manner that is worthy before him. And so, we are those that Paul is referring to. And so, we have to abide in the truth. We have to live the truth. We have to walk in the truth. We are learning from him. Amen. Being conformed to his image. Being transformed as Christians. And that's a process. But look at verse 22. Let's focus now on verse 22 to 24. I'll read it as a whole unit again. That you put off concerning your former conduct the old man who grows corrupt according to the deceitful lusts 
and be renewed in the spirit of your mind and that, which you, and that you put on the new man which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. Now again, this must be understood and there are two aspects that I want to, uh, to distinguish here that relate to again the positional and the practical aspect of what Paul is talking about in these particular verses when he says to put off and to put on put off the old man and put on the new man. See, these are concepts that we have to understand and practically apply into our lives. And so, again, we're considering this in the Christian walk. And so, as I said, it deals with our state in in our position in Christ and the practical outflow of it. So, let's look at this and establish what I'm talking about. So, again, having put off the old man and put on the new man. Let's go to Romans chapter 6. In Romans chapter 6, we have it clearly stated, again by Paul, as he establishes these truths, and he says in chapter 6, verse 4, Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into death. And just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For we have been united together in the likeness of his death. Certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing this, that the old, our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. Now, Paul here, notice the words that he's using because he's speaking in the past tense. He says that we, um, we are knowing this, that our old man was, not is or is being, was crucified. You see, the moment we were born from above, the moment we were born of God, this is what happened to us and so we were in Christ, this is the new man. And so new creations in Christ Jesus and now the old man has been crucified. Now this is not the old self. It incorporates the self but it's not the self. It is the old man. It's the Adamic sinful nature that we have. Each one of us has. Because if you say, well, I was crucified well, then, um, and the old man's dead but why is it that the old man still seems to be there? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And so uh, you've got to understand it that it is uh, uh, the, the, uh, the old man that has been judged judicially, the Adamic nature, the sinful nature that has been judged through the cross of Jesus Christ. And this is what has happened to us when we were buried with him through baptism and we've been raised with him. So this is our position. We are dead to sin and alive to God. And Paul's emphasis here is that we would learn to walk in that newness of life. Again, the emphasis is walking in this life, this newness of life, this life in the spirit is what Paul's really talking about. You see... How are we going to walk in the newness of life? You're going to have to learn to put off your former conduct that was associated with the Adamic sinful nature. That's what Paul's saying. Look at verse 22. That you put off concerning your former conduct. Now he's speaking in the progressive sense, the practical sense, because we just saw it positionally. 
But now he's exhorting them to do it practically, that you put off concerning your former conduct the old man which grows corrupt according to deceitful lusts. You see, the Adamic nature and the lusts of the flesh are still existent in the believer. Amen? It is a battle. We war against, not flesh and blood. The spirit lusts against the flesh and the flesh lusts against the spirit. There's a, there's a battle that rages in each of us. And one wants to gain the ascendancy. And when you understand your position in Christ and the provision of Christ, then you learn to appropriate that by faith in Christ and you learn to walk in this newness of life as in, in Christ Jesus. And this is where, where we live. Amen. So put off your former conduct. Don't do those things that you used to do before you were Christian. Don't do those things that the Gentiles do, that the world does. We've got to put those things off. We've got to put them away. And there are things in it, there are things in our life that are compromised, that are questionable, that are unholy, that are unrighteous, then we have to judge those things and we must walk worthy before the Lord. So Paul would say, put off, cast off, put away your former conduct. That's what I did when I got saved, amen? When I became a Christian, I tell you, I didn't have to tell me what was right and wrong. I tell you, I knew very much so those things that were, that were unacceptable before God. And those things were decisively dealt with. And, the very, and some of the things that I had to wrestle with as I dealt with them before God through his grace and the power of his spirit, I gained a, a dominion over sin and I began to walk in a manner that was acceptable and worthy before the Lord. And that's why we have to ask ourselves, you know, how, what do, how do Christians live? You know, there's a practical answer. There's answers to this. Because professing Christians shouldn't be walking like the rest of the Gentiles. I'm just going off down to the local nightclub. Well, Christians don't belong at the local nightclub. Amen. You know what I'm saying? Like there's things, that's the world. That's, they're living in the uncleanness, the lewdness and the lust. Oh, I'm just a Christian, I'm not a partaking. Well then don't go there. I used to, when I got saved, I used to go outside the nightclubs on where I once lived and I was now outside, not inside, and I was outside preaching the gospel on the streets. That's, that's, the, that's what we should be doing. Making a clear distinction, a clear contrast. I now don't walk like that. I walk this way, amen. Oh, you're being... Too, no, that's the way it works, church. This is normal. This is how it should be. Because there's a, there's a, there, we learn to walk differently and we can't be partakers or identify or even enter into those areas of, of the grey. And this principle can be applied in further contexts as well which I'll leave to Holy Spirit to speak to each of us. But you understand my point. There's deceitful lusts. Deceitful lusts. I can handle this. I don't, I'm not like that. Well, go there long enough and you see what happens. Before you know it, you'll be eating the, dog, uh, the pig food. I never intended that to happen. No, because you compromised. You, you, were where you, you put yourself where you should never have been. And then you're in your failure, and I deal with this later in chapter 5, in our, in our failure to deal with it properly, we end up compromising. Deceitfulness of sin. 
the deceitfulness. We deceive ourselves and ultimately we get bitten. So you see the point that Paul is making. So he says that we put off concerning your former conduct the old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lusts. Now listen to verse 23, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind. See this is very critical because this is how the process happens. Be renewed in the spirit of your mind. You see, and the emphasis is the spirit of your mind, meaning the spirit that is now in us in Christ Jesus and the soul is that which needs to be sanctified. And so as, how do you renew the mind? Through the word of God. This is why it is imperative that we are understanding and we are reading the word of God. That word to renew literally means to renovate. God takes us and he washes us in his, in his blood and we are declared blameless and righteous and holy positionally in Christ. But I tell you what, our minds, they need to be washed, amen? And they are washed by the water of the word. And as we, as we read the word of God, our mind is being transformed. What does it say in Romans 12 verse 2? Do not be conformed to this world, don't walk according to the world, but be transformed. How? By the renewing of your mind. The mind is being renewed. And I tell you, if you are reading the word of God and you are seeking God and you are praying, though you may fall, I guarantee, as you continue to seek God, God will help you, he will empower you, he'll give you the grace and you will experience the, the provision of God's spirit and the life of God will begin to permeate your, 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 your soul. Be renewed in the spirit of your mind. This is so important. Because I say this this morning, those who neglect the word of God are sure to eventually change course. Listen carefully to what I'm saying. When you fail to read God's word and you are deliberately neglecting it for whatever reason, you can be sure at some point in time you will deviate in your course. You'll, you'll, make, you'll take a wrong step and then that step will change your direction and you will walk in a manner, in a path that you never thought that when you took that step, the destination that it will take you to. So this is very important. So you have to consider these things. And, what, and so when, we, when we're, not, we're not renewing our mind, we're filling our mind. What goes, and I say this, I've said it all the time, but I'll say it again. What goes into the mind comes out in your life. It's true. You, it's a cliche. It's one of those things that you hear that much. You think, oh yeah, yeah. Think what goes into your mind comes out in your life. Full stop. And, if, and so if we're feeding on things that are not right and we're feeding the flesh and not the spirit, you mark it down, compromise will come. Little ones. You'll start with little ones. Little steps. Then another step. Another step and then all of a sudden you're walking down the path. And the path that, well, it brings forth death. You see, you have to be renewed. We have to think differently. We walk differently. Turn with me, uh, Romans 8 again, verse 4. 
Romans 8, verse 4. Paul says, speaking about Christ, obviously, that the righteous requirement of the Lord might be fulfilled in us who do not, listen, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. We are not to walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Now let's read on, verse 5. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. You see, it's where you set your mind. If you set your mind on God and the Word of God, then that will be reflected in the way which you walk. You set your mind on the things of the flesh and you will walk according to the, think according to the flesh and you will walk according to the flesh. And um, verse 6, which concludes, For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. See, it's so clear. Let's go a little bit further. Let's go to Galatians. Turn with me, Galatians chapter 5. I just want to highlight these things because they, you can see how it's all tying itself together. So in Galatians chapter 5, verse 16, I'm not going to read the whole thing, but just verse 16 and verse, I'll, I'll identify it. But Paul says to the church at Galatia, I say then, walk in the Spirit and you shall not fulfil the lust of the flesh. Again, very straightforward. Walk in the Spirit and in doing so you won't fulfil the lusts of the flesh but fail to walk in the Spirit and you will inevitably fulfil the lusts of the flesh. So go down to verse 24. He goes on and talks about the works of the flesh and the fruit of the Spirit. In verse 24, And those who are Christ's, that's us, those who are Christ's have crucified the flesh, have positionally, This is our position in God. And I am crucified with Christ. Okay? And so those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. And we are of the Spirit. Amen? So let us walk in the Spirit is Paul's exhortation to us. This is his instruction. This is exactly what he's telling the church at Ephesus. Put off your former conduct with its deceitful lusts. Don't walk as the Gentiles walk. So, going back, he says in verse 24, and that you put on, put on the new man which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. So in other words, Paul is saying, um, again, having put on Christ, this is our position. We are in Christ, but also practically speaking, you must put on, put off and put on. There is an emphasis here upon the responsibility for us to work out our own salvation, to walk in a manner that is worthy before the Lord. There are choices that we have to make. There are decisions that we have to be made. And in doing so, this is exactly what we are doing. We are to put on the new man. That man is Christ. Amen. We are in Christ. Christ is in us. 
And so therefore, if anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things become new. Walk in that newness. Put on the new man. See, we have to do this. Put on Christ. This, the, 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 the thought that Paul has here in the Greek, uh, this word put on, it, it's, in the, it's, it's to be clothed with. Clothe yourself with Christ, to put on Christ. And again, this is captured, go, go back to Romans chapter 13. Romans 13, let me read it to you, verse 11. And do this, Paul's exhortation, and do this, knowing that the time that now it is high time to awake out of sleep, for now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. The night is far spent, the day is at hand, therefore let us cast off the works of darkness, let us put on, cast off, put on the uh, armour of light, let us walk properly as in the day, not in revelry and drunkenness, not in lewdness and lust, not in strife and envy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfil its lust. See this, this repetitive aspect of the scriptures, of the practical exhortations of Paul to, that backs up his theology and the doctrine of Christ. And so this is a, put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Put off your former conduct. And this involves the choices that we make. You know, I remember, and I, I, I just said this briefly, I, there were times in my Christian life where I, in my struggle against sin and areas as a very young Christian and as I contemplated some of these things and, and, uh, and I thought, Lord, deliver me, God save me, as if somehow God was just going to do it all for me. And then I finally, God spoke to me. And I tell you, the moment I understood in Colossians where it talks about put to death, mortify the works of the flesh. And I began to realise it's not just going to happen. Oh God, deliver me. No, no, I realised, amen, by faith in the provision that God has made through the life of Christ and the power of God in me to have dominion over sin, I said, no. (laughs) Oh, that's really deep. That was how simple it was. Put off. Stop it. And I tell you, it was instantaneous deliverance. I was set free. Now, was that me? No. It was Christ, but as I submitted myself and made the choice, amen, to obey and apply that which God had provided, I experienced the liberty of abiding in Christ. Put off, put on. Now, he says, listen to this, put off, put on, the new man which was created according to God, in true righteousness and holiness. True righteousness and holiness. It speaks for itself. Righteousness and holiness. This is the Spirit of God in us, Christ in us. We're talking about true righteousness and true holiness. And in doing so, we now have to live and walk according to righteousness and holiness. 
And so this is very important again because um, uh, uh, the emphasis being here, righteousness, being our, the way we conduct ourselves towards one another in righteousness, we're right conduct, and holiness in the manner in which we conduct ourselves before God, that we are holy. And that word uh, 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 holiness in the Greek here is, uh, it comes, it talks about it represents our earnest, earnestly complying to the word of God or to truth. In other words, the new man that's created in true righteousness and true holiness is now being reflected in my life practically as I begin to live and walk in righteousness and in holiness. And I must put on and I must put off. Put off, put on. I have to pursue holiness. I must make deliberate choices and decisions to be holy and to conduct myself righteously. You see? Otherwise, it's just not going to happen, is it? there's There's a role that we play. Paul would say, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and to do for his good pleasure. Sure, God is is speaking, God is leading, God is guiding, God is prompting, God's convicting, he's doing all of these things. The Holy Ghost is at work in our hearts. But unless you yield, unless you present, unless you choose, it's not going to happen. And so, therefore, we have to put on the new man in true righteousness and holiness. Put it on. And the only way, no use talking about your position and state and being seated with Christ. Thank God that you're seated. But now Paul's saying, make sure you're walking properly. Make sure you're walking appropriately. Making sure you walk worthy before the Lord. So again, I think these things are clear. The emphasis is clear. And I'm not going to go through it in detail now. And I don't know if I'll even touch on it next time. But let's just look just very briefly as in statement or so because that principle that Paul has just stated, he goes into verse 25 and he just lists some things, practically speaking, that this relates to. So he says in verse 25, put away lying. Christians don't lie, do they? <laughs> no, of course not. Um... Speak the truth with your neighbour, for we're members of one another. Be angry, do not sin. Be angry, do not sin. Who's ever been angry and sinned? Be angry, don't sin. See, being angry is not sin. It's being angry and sinning. (laughs) Because it's the way we conduct ourselves in our anger that's the issue. But here, be, but, uh, don't let the sun go down on your wrath, nor give place to the devil. Verse 28, let him who stole steal no longer, but rather let him labour, working with his hands. That's why these are biblical truths. This is why um, whether you want to debate the welfare system in Australia or whatever else, but I tell you what, people who are refusing to work and are taking the welfare system, they are stealing. Mm-hmm. I tell you what, go to other parts of the world. That's why everyone wants to come to Australia. Because you can steal, man. <laughs> Get on the system and it's right. But I tell you what, go to other places of the world. You have to work with your hands if you want to feed. If you want to eat. 
And so, uh, again, I'm not, I'm not criticising the safety net in itself. If you want to look at it in, uh, in a certain way, they help us when there's genuine need, so forth. That's a separate issue. But for those that I'm de- talking about deliberately bucking the system, and there are many, oh, I have a disability, I'm on the disability pension, I'm this and I'm that. Now, again, there might be a few legitimate cases, but I tell you now, the amount of people I've seen the last 10 years on the disability pension, they just need to get off their bottom and work. Work. Just get up and work and that'll solve half of your problems. Because working is a spiritual concept. So, again, work. Get a job. Structure your life. That'll really help you. Alright, so let's move on. Let him steal sooner or longer. But, you know, and stealing in a sense. Let him labour working with his own hands. Let no corrupt word proceed, verse 29, verse, let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for and necessary for edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers. hearers. Verse 30, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God to whom you were sealed, or by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. And so having been sealed by the Spirit of God, having been, uh, 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 having been secured in Christ Jesus, the Paul is emphasising again, don't grieve the Holy Spirit. Isn't it sad because when we don't walk worthy before the Lord, we grieve the Spirit of God. And that's the truth. The Spirit of God's not just some impersonal force. It's a person, God, the Holy Spirit. And the way we conduct ourselves grieves the Spirit. And we can grieve the Spirit in the way in which we conduct ourselves, in the way in which we walk as a Christian. And when you begin to understand that and see that, it should soften our hearts. It should humble us before the Lord to think that, you know what, I have done things that have grieved the Holy Spirit. And then he says in verse 31, let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamour, evil speaking be put away from you with all malice and be kind. He says, put off and put on. Now, verse 32, put on kind. He doesn't say that, but that's what he's saying. Be kind, be tender-hearted, forgive one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. And you can meditate more on those things. We're not going to go through them in great length. But you see the point that is being made. And so God help us, amen, to walk in the new man put on the new men, put off the old men. And I pray that what we've seen this morning will help us all to walk in a manner that's acceptable to the Lord. Amen? God bless you.